Balotelli. Aguero! Lewandowski goes through again. Oh, he just can't do it. You just cannot be that good. That is an amazing goal. I think he scored a goal every time he's had a shot. What's going on, guys? We're back with another episode of the 50 Plus One Football Podcast, your home for all things Premier League, Bundesliga, and much more. We have got some great topics for you, but with me as always, the, the John Terry to my Frank Lampard, Billy. Nice bit of foreshadowing to our guest later on with those two. But Ooh. coming up today, an utter humiliation at Villa Park, a great advert for German football in Munich, and Manchester United hit for six. I'm looking forward to that. Should we start with it? Can yeah, we well, let's, so I can get it out of the way? So you can get your rent out of the way? Yeah, yeah. Well, well, might as well. Oh. Obviously, incoming. The... <laughs> incoming rant. <laughs> I don't think fuming does it justice. Understand. I really, I really don't. Like, I've been angry at football before because I care too much. Yeah. But never like that. I think six one city was the last time I've been proper like shaking, seething. Yeah, but that was just I mean, it didn't seem as if they had any real motivation to even try to keep the scoreline down. Like, you know, at some you know, at some point you even as you know, players in a match, you realize as, to a certain extent when you don't have, you know, a snowball's chance in hell for better, for lack of a better word. At some point, you might realize that, but that doesn't, that there's no excuse to go to pieces like United did in that match because, you know, I, I understand after half an hour going, being down 3 1 at home is a big hit, but. It was but, it was a little bit much. But we started so quick. We got the penalty exactly, after like exactly. ninety seconds. So it can't have been oh well we we just weren't up, up for it. Because clearly you were from the get go. Yeah. And okay, yeah, we, we we fell asleep for both they got shocking defending from like Sancho who <laughs> spend that money on a back four having conceded six goals to Tottenham and none of them were David De Gea's fault. Well, I mean, from what I saw from the match was that it was a fact of, you know, the first seven minutes then was Jesus Christ. I don't think I've ever seen that much happen in seven minutes in football. I mean, probably have, but that was a lot to pack in seven minutes. But from about the seventh minute to the, I'd say, yeah, about the 27th, for a solid 20 minutes, United didn't look like they were down 2-1. They looked like they were the team who were up 2-1 and pushing for a 3-1. Because I'm not going to lie, Spurs didn't look to be anywhere near scoring. But then it was just, you know, little flashes in counter in their counterattacks and 
it was as if United would be pressing and, you know, almost standing with 11 men around the, around the Spurs penalty area. But then the Spurs would get one lucky break and they seem to be more dangerous in front of goal on that one lucky break than United were for the last 10 minutes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll give you that because Son, Son's goal came from a quick free kick. Yeah. But Harry, Harry, brilliant from Harry Kane to go, hang on, there's a gap there. He's onside, I'll play him through. I know you're not supposed to block that, but come on, everyone does it. Harry Maguire switched off. He was yeah. too busy complaining. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Son had another one, just a long, a long pass through the middle of Eric Bailly and Luke Shaw. His touch let him down on that one. But it's the yeah, playing yeah, from the back that really get really gets me for Harry Kane's goal to make it three one. Yeah, that was just that was just poor. Uh, yeah, okay, you're allowed to do it. Doesn't mean you have to. Boot it up the field if you can't if you've got no option. And the the less I say about Paul Pogba, the better because it's just not going to get me anywhere. He was at fault for two goals today. He didn't track Serge Aurier for the fifth goal. And he gave away the pen for the sixth goal. He was utter, utterly pathetic all game. I mean, they all were. I'm not singling out Paul Pogba because Luke Shaw, thank God we're getting Alex Tellers. Because if I have to watch him play left back one more time, I'm going to scratch my eyes out. <laughs> Let's talk on, oh, yeah, on Sky was... Sports tonight of Brandon Williams going to Southampton. No. If anything, send that useless sack of shite back down the <laughs> South Coast. I'll drive him there myself. <laughs> Oh, I'd dude. rather keep Brandon Williams than have Luke Shaw. I mean, that's that speaks volumes. But can we just take a minute to talk about that utterly ridiculous red card that was given to Marcel? Yeah. Okay. What? So, <laughs> law of the game: you're not allowed to hit your opponent in the face. But if your opponent elbows you in the neck, I think that's fair game. I'm ju- I'm going to stay, stick with my initial reaction and the reaction that was also uh, said by the German commentators, one of which you will also, you know, your heart will skip a beat, Bill. It was Raphael Honigstein, the German Fabrizio Romano. Oh, here we go. <laughs> and he, he basically, he himself was also like, you know, it would have been fine if both had just gotten a yellow and have done with it. Yeah, it was six of one, half a dozen of the other. The only reason Martial gets sent off for that is because Eric Lamella goes down like he's been sniped from the stands. Yeah, I mean, he was. I that really did my head in. It was just the fact that he just goes down like he, oh, he goes down as if he's been shot, as you said, and you know, it's it's just such poor acting. Like, I've I'm not gonna lie. I've probably I've probably hit a ball harder than I've hit you know than than Martial's little. It wasn't even a hit. It was more like a like a hand that like he took his hand and just kind of slid it over Lamella's face. It wasn't real even a real hit. So no, it was right. tap on the cheek like I'll do that again and I'll yeah I'll exactly. Bust Bar fights have had way more, have gotten way more confrontational. Like I'm sorry, I've had kisses with more hit. Pretty much. I don't know what that says about the way I'm kissing, but it says uh, a lot not, about the way that Martial that hit is, Eric Lamella. That, that is open in a can of worms that we definitely do not want to get into. No, I'm not <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but it's just, I mean, after that, you, you said it to me 
over text and you were just ba- you basically said after that players just switched off oh yeah mentally they checked out but you can't blame having a forward player sent off you cannot blame that for the amount of defensive errors that, that they made yeah. okay if harry Maguire gets sent off and you've got a glaring hole in your back four not that it would make any difference because he might as well not have been playing today <laughs> but if one of the back four of the goalkeeper gets gets sent off you've got cause to complain yeah one of your strikers gets sent martial barely tracks back anyway but oh, just i saw eric by playing instead of victor lindelof and i was like yes a dynamic center half i was like oh no there's the there's the reason he's he only started one premier league game last season uh yeah and what do i say to you every time i watch him play it gives me anxiety watching Eric Bailly defend. I was, I was about to say, it, you might go a little bit more graphic in your descriptions, but uh, yeah, that's about the gist of it. Harry <laughs> <laughs> Maguire needs to be dropped. And this is coming from a United fan. Two years after Maguire was signed for a hold, your, hold on to your seats, record fee of $87 million. It was just 80 well, 87 million euros, sorry. Yeah, get your euros out of here. I'm sorry. Half this podcast is in, Euro- is, is in Germany and is in a land of euros. Deal with it. Hashtag Brexit. But... Get the... <laughs> <laughs> but, but regardless of euros or pounds, yen and dollars and all that it was overpaying <laughs> it was, if, he, if he was scottish or welsh or anything if he wasn't english he's about a 20 million pound player at best but the way yeah. he played today he might as well have been playing for hull when the season they got relegated <laughs> it was utter utter trash and i i said people were like digging it out and it's like yeah fair enough like james give it to me the the City fan, James, give it to me because I give it to him when they lost to Leicester. Fair enough. And it's like, oh, 80 million from Maguire. Leicester are laughing. I was like, mate, I'm sat here laughing. It's pathetic. I've seen better know. defending from centre-halves at Sunday League. No <laughs> dynamism about him at all. It is like watching a fridge play football. And I'm sorry for... And Dombele's goal, their equaliser after four minutes. He pulled his own player to the floor. He dragged Luke Shaw to the ground. Well, should we we maybe move away from such a heartbreaking topic for you and move to one that actually should be, you know, giving or making your heart skip a beat? Yeah, I really want to talk about this. The last thing I'm going to say on United is Alex Tellez and Edinson Cavani are not going to fix that at all yeah i mean i'm sorry but i have to agree with you like it's it's two players i mean alex tellers he's Maybe. got experience in the portuguese league it's not a european top five league ah uh, but same with bruno fernandez yeah but okay but it's still it's still a further stretch i mean bruno fernandez was really outperforming everyone in the uh, in the portuguese league i'm at least from what i've seen Alex Tellers, uh, he's definitely he's definitely something, but he's not, you know, Bruno Fernandez level. All I'm going to say is, uh, no one get gassed over his goals return because he takes Porto's penalties. 
won't be taking ours. I was about to say, you've already got your main man for that. But, and also, Cavani, Cavani is just a panic buy. Because yeah. you're telling me he's been a free agent since the end of last season. Mm. If he was mm. part of our transfer plans, we'd have had him the minute that window opened. Of course. You would have already, you would have already started uh, negotiating with him at the beginning of the year when, because of his contract running out at the end of the 2020 season, you would have been able to negotiate. It just, it just frustrates me. And I said, I sent you that picture. It's like uh, the, the Edinson Cavani Woodward thinks he's getting, you know, him celebrating after scoring a great goal. Yeah. Like the Cavani we're going to get just a picture of foul County United shirt. <laughs> it screams that. And, as much as I want him to have that Ibrahimovic impact, he just won't. Because as much as he was a, an elite level striker, he's not Ibrahimovic. No one else is. Yeah, yeah. But and he's he is quite old as well. He's thirty three, and Ibrahimovic was thirty six. But then Ibrahimovic isn't human. I was about to say that that is a big difference there. So yeah, do with that what you will. But then again. Chelsea signed Thiago Silva, 35. Oh, that's a great signing. That's, but that's pick, because they needed it. Arsenal pick up Willian, who's in the latter stages of his career. Oh, what a, what a buy. What a, what a shrewd move. We get 33-year-old PSG record goal scorer Edinson Cavani. Oh, well, that's a panic buy. Why are they going for an old man? <laughs> Double standards there. But let's move on to your favorite topic of the night. It's got to be Liverpool. Who the hell gets decked 7-2 by Aston Villa? And ooh, you're the Oh, re- I know. I know. Is it Liverpool? <laughs> oh, my day. Just, I'm sorry. You're the defending champions. You can't be getting decked 7-2. And I'm sorry. They didn't have their crap team out. They didn't have, you know, their League Cup team on the pitch. They had a back line of Andy Robertson, Virgil van Dijk, Joe Gomez, and Trent Alexander-Arnold. They had their starting back line. Do not even for a second tell me that they did not field a good team. They had Adrian in goal. I don't uh, care. That, I, front, that back line. Yeah, I mean, that's the back line that won a European championship and the Premier League. But then again... It did have a better goalkeeper behind them. But I don't know how many of those goals you can actually say. No. Oh, Alice wanted to save that. No. <laughs> Three of them took huge deflections. Uh, that, that, and that, exactly, that being point number one, but also it's a, it's a collective effort. If any, uh, it's, just, it's just so poor. I think one thing we can take from that and i'm not just here to like bash liverpool fans because i'm in no position today to be digging out insults and gassing people out but trent alexander arnold as much as it sounds really weird needs to learn how to defend going forward unreal yeah absolutely insane but several times and it led to like four of villa's goals it was that long ball over the top or round him, or played across the floor. He goes to try and stop it instead of busting and got to get back. Whereas you look at someone, I think against the only 
Well, yeah, you look at someone like uh, Alfonso Davies or Aaron Wambasaka, there's no sticking a leg out to try and block it. It's, I'm going to bust my gut to get back. Yeah, yeah. And I think because that's where minute... he lacks. <sighs> Joe Gomez was woeful. I don't think you and could And I didn't taken... think I'd ever say that about Joe Gomez. I don't think you could take any player out of that Liverpool team and say they played even mediocre. I mean, the whole team was just crap. Okay, but can we, uh, can we flip this? As much, I'm going to say about, you know, because as, as bad as we were, Spurs played really well. Yeah. As bad as Liverpool were, Aston Villa were unreal. Ollie Watkins yeah, yeah. with a perfect hat trick. <laughs> Before the season, everyone was like, oh, well, that's too much for a championship striker. Why have you paid 30 to 35 million pounds for a championship striker? That's why. Well, that, exactly. That is why, my friends. <laughs> Jack Grealish doing what we Jack all know Grealish he's capable does. of. Yeah, doing what Jack Grealish does. John McGinn, great goal. He played really well today. Some of those balls were unreal. And uh, Everton boy, Ross Barkley, on his Aston Villa debut. And that really annoyed Greg. You love to see it, don't you? That's because he <laughs> hates Ross Barkley. Uh, but it is... I mean, this has, this has proportions of, you know, Barcelona getting decked 8-2. to two. Uh, it's, a little bit, it's a little bit different, I'd say, almost, because, you know, Aston Villa aren't a team that are, you know rolling towards winning the European Champions League. And I think that's what makes it even worse is because Aston Villa are a team that no one right now is reckoning with them finishing anywhere above probably 13th or 12th in the Prem. No, but I think we have to be rational here. As great as it is to see games like this, you've got to take a step back and go, well, hang on a minute how much of this can you attribute to the fact that some of these teams didn't have a preseason or some of these teams, you think about how, how short a distance or how short a gap there was between the end of last season and the start of this. You look at oh, PSG the, lost their first two first games two of the season. Bayern Munich got battered 4-1. Man City lost 5-2. United lost 6-1. And now Liverpool have conceded 7 to Aston Villa. Aston Villa. Yeah, I mean, you're not, you're not wrong. It's, uh, one, of, one of our friends, Brennan, said this is, this is the weirdest start to a football season ever. And I, th- I think you can, you can attribute it to the fact that, you know, the coronavirus has just completely upended the schedule. Because no team, right now, every team is struggling with the players or with the squad they've got. Because all, all of a sudden they're having to put their squad through midweek games from the get-go, and it's not going to let up. I mean, this is most—I'd say this is mo- this was most apparent when Bayern got decked four-one. But you know, Liverpool seven—it's still astounding. I uh, there's an international break coming up now. It's two weeks without football. I think things will settle down and you'll start to see the more established order of things come back in. Because you imagine results like that keep happening. 
Well, I mean, I'm pretty sure you'd see a different winner of the Bundesliga and a different winner of the Premier League. Oh, I mean, at this rate, Everton are going to win it. And that's purely down to the fact they got a manager and a board that buys him as players. And they've all been fantastic. I was going to say, if anything is ever, you know, if you want to see the definition of click, it's Everton. And the interesting thing is, the first game, literally the first game after the international break, is Everton-Liverpool. That's going, to, that's going to be interesting because Liverpool are going to be licking their wounds when it comes to the Merseyside Derby. And I'm, I'm going to say something that I never thought I was going to be saying at the beginning of this season, but I'd say Everton are definitely favourites to win that match. Say, how many times have you seen Everton win a Merseyside Derby of late? <laughs> that, you know, that just on the side as well. But... You know, who would have thought that the year after Liverpool become Premier League champions for the first time in their history? And yes, I'm not making, you know, a mistake because the Premier League doesn't has only existed in its current form since 1992. Anyways. The more you know. Exactly, the more you know. Um, but that's what I'm saying is, you know, this is... They, this should have been the season where they want to show that, you know, that wasn't just a fluke that we won that. That was years of hard work and we're here to stay. We're here to, you know, th- we're here to throw down a dynasty like, um, like Sir Alex Ferguson with Manchester United. That's what, we're, that's what we're aiming to do. We want Jurgen Klopp as our manager. We want Jurgen Klopp to be the Sir Alex Ferguson um, to our Liverpool. That sounds really dirty. It does sound really dirty, and I'm not sure if I'm going to have to retract that later. That's made my skin crawl, that thought. Ah. Okay, ignoring that fact, basically playing... There's no way I can even save that. Anyways. Um... I just want to go back to Everton. Yeah. I don't want to talk about their signings, because Alan, people that know or that have watched Champions League football in the last few years know how good he is in that holding position which is somewhere they've lacked in years. But James Rodriguez, there was that, oh, is he really, is he finished? Oh, I'm not sure he's cut out for the Premier League. <laughs> well, he, he really is. That, that picture with his two fingers up says it all. Two goals and an assist against Brighton. A goal against West Brom. A couple assists against West Brom. Signing of the season, I think so. Well, it just goes to show that also it, it is all about you know the players' surroundings. Really, it's the atmosphere in the club. It's the people he's working with. It's the manager he's working with. I was going to say he loves Ancelotti. Loves that boy. Oh, but I think and he's like a father to the guy. But <laughs> even even if obviously there's no Everton fans in the stadium at the moment. But they love him. It's like the second coming. He's like the prodigal son. Oh, he is. He is the promised one. <laughs> and it's the like, chosen one. It's it's like oh my god, we've got James Rodriguez. It's like, and I think he knows. He must know, like oh, they they love me, and to go and, from what how he was treated at Real Madrid to being like, oh, mate, you could spit on my child and I'd shake your hand and apologize. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. 
I mean, it's literally on children, but it is the resurgence of James Rodriguez. Yeah, there's a video that's going around on Twitter at the moment after his Premier League debut. Some some Everton fans stopped him in the street and gave him a bottle of red wine. It's like, thank you so much. It's like, mate, you've given our club meaning again. (laughs) Compared to how he was treated at Real Madrid, it was like, well, clearly you're not good enough. It's like class is permanent. Oh, and sorry to say, but Real Madrid, as much as they are probably one of the club, one of the world's biggest clubs ever, they do have a habit of kicking players out the door who definitely don't deserve it. Well, you look at, I'm just waiting for Gareth Bell to have an absolute stormer of a season. Oh, exactly. So the minute he hits the ground running and, you know, Spurs without Gareth Bale today looked unreal. You replace Lamella with Gareth Bale. Jesus Don Christ. Kane and Bale. Jesus. And you, don't, you don't want to see them three running at you. And it happened like it happened against Sevilla. It happened again today. Sergio Reg- Reguillon. Oh no! no it's, it's, like, again. it's like PTSD. It's like I'm getting norm flashbacks. It's like, oh no, it's happening again. <laughs> well, you just don't. You just don't think it could happen to you that often in the span of two months. Well, not even that. It's just for about a week. I thought it would be him doing it for us against other people, but you know that's football. Oh yeah, that I hurt the most. That. that forgot about that. But Dominic Calvert Lewin form of his life someone put up his previous uh, goal percentage and in night pre- and day. all his previous games for Everton it was like something like 15-20% goals to games and at the moment it's 150 <laughs> oh my god he's top scorer in the Premier League he scored back to back hat tricks in games so he scored a hat trick against West Ham in the Carabao Cup and he's got a hat trick in their previous Premier League game, and he's now in the England squad. Hey, he's done well for himself. Everton but, can do no wrong. Yeah, yeah. Seeing as we've spoken about the teams from the north, it's time to take a trip down south to a London club whose sugar daddy owner has loosened the purse strings this transfer window. As we've introduced last week, we have the man, the myth, the legend. We knew him at uni as Mr. Chelsea YouTube. He is currently the manager and owner of Imperial Wharf FC, as well as the founder of the Chelsea Echo, Louis Beneventi. Owner, mate. I didn't found it. Some amazing guy called Simon Phillips did. Great Chelsea content creator, by the way, for your Twitter and Chelsea news if you want people to check him out. But yeah, I do, I do own it now. Sorry, just, <laughs> you know, there. Just, sorry, just to clarify, just yeah. to clarify. So how are you? <laughs> I'm good, mate. I'm good. Chelsea won 4-0 yesterday. Happy days. Kept a clean sheet for the first time um, in God knows how long. I don't know how long it's been. Oh, we, uh, can, uh, we can talk right about the goalkeeping switch then. Oh, we can indeed. He's got big arms. All I know about him so far. I did find oh, it good. quite funny. He kept a clean sheet on Kepa's birthday. And if that's not a kick in the nuts, I don't know what is. Oh, it was so you just saw Kepa on the bench and literally Simon Garfunkel, hello, darkness, my old friend. You could have just put layered it over the top. Poor bloke. It's really Oof. not worked out for him. And 
that amount of money on a goalkeeper. It's, it, come on, I, I think I think if you, if you look at what it was, and if you look at Chelsea's transfer business this summer, it's normally since Marina's finally you know kind of figured it out, been very shrewd. And at the time, a nine-year contract for seventeen million for someone who was supposed to be you know the heir apparent, you know, it's great. But you can't put. It wasn't him who made the price tag. He's he's a player who just simply just you know been given this price tag, put pressure on his shoulders, and then decided to put even more pressure on his shoulders by refusing to come off in a cup final for a manager. So uh, yeah, he didn't help himself there. But apparently he's had a lot of um, lot of issues. So apparently his girlfriend of like seven years split up with him when he came to the UK, and he had no family over here, and he was just like mentally it just did him in completely. And that's why so, he's been so poor. So would you say that the turning point was when he did refuse to come off in that uh, FA Cup, uh, in that FA Cup match? No, no, no. He still, he still had some good performances that season. Frank, Frankfurt in the uh, semi-final of the Europa League is a good example yeah. of that. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. He's, he's a good goalkeeper. That's the thing. I'm, I, I know for a fact he's a good goalkeeper. And you watch him and you see last like the season under Sarri, he was absolutely superb. It's just mentally something must have must have just switched. Um, he needs, unfortunately, he needs a fresh start to, if he wants his career to develop at all. Because right now he will literally be sat on the bench at Chelsea for the foreseeable. Because I, I, I can't see him getting any game time over Willie Caballero either, if I'm honest. Well, that was the thing. It was I, Willie started the the game previous to Fulham. Mm-hmm. Was like, right, okay, and we we knew that. Edward Mendy was coming in at that point. And it's like, well, that surely isn't a great indicator for Kepa. But I, I wonder if it's a Spanish thing, because David De Gea had a similar thing in his first couple of years. He was crap, for lack of a better word. But again, personal issues. His girlfriend at the time was still in Madrid. Yeah. And it's like uh, common themes with both of them. It's a, it's a Mediterranean thing, mate. All of them. <laughs> They're all the same. When I say they're all the same, I'm not saying that as a Brexity guy. <laughs> my surname, that would be a bit awkward. Imagine having my surname but in Brexit. What a dickhead. Um, but yeah, it's um, but yeah, it's like, uh, I didn't, by the way. Let's not get political there, but just want to clear that up quickly. Um, but yeah, like it's a... Uh, I, th- I think, yeah, Kepa, I, I, I looked in for the first couple of... Like that first season, I thought it was solid. Uh, he had a... He had a consistent backline in front of him as well, um, because realistically, I think a goalkeeper is, is good, but it's important that they have a solid defence in front of them. Frank Lampard has not named has not named the same eleven ever. I don't think you know he's done it once after after one game he's kept the same eleven. So Kepa was also having to do, you know fight that as well as being in poor form. Um, so it's it's. It's been an awkward one. I think Edouard Mendy's definitely going to shore it up. I think we might have a settled backline now as well. Um, ben Chilwell is going to have to brush up on his French, from what I understand. Uh, back to school for him. But, um, but yeah, look, I think, I think Kepa, it's unfortunate. But it, it, like I said, he's a good keeper. But it, it just, it just, it's just not worked out. And I know he'll go somewhere else and he'll do quite well. He'll get his confidence back and he'll, he'll start proving people why we bought him for so much money in the first place. So would you say then, um, because a lot of people, when they looked at Chelsea's spending this summer, said it was very attack heavy. 
uh, you've invest, invested a ton of money in uh, you know, your attacking line and not a lot in the defensive line. I mean, if we take uh, Chilwell out um, mm-hmm. in terms of money spending, you haven't invested a whole lot in your back line. So would you say that you know, that might also have contributed to the factor of just defensive instability? Because, I mean, you did have the most goals conceded last season of any top four team. Mm. I, I think yes I think that was always a big worry of mine when we've invested so heavily the other worry we have now up front is it's a nice problem to have but there is so many attacking options it's it's ridiculous um, it's a case of Frank Lampard now has to balance that squad and that's something else which is um, which is going to be difficult I mean for any manager it's difficult to balance the squad but with so many fantastic acquisitions in the summer and so many fantastic players already existing within the squad, it's going to be much more difficult for him to, to manage and, and cope with uh, the, whole, the whole thing now, I think. Um, but in, in terms of the investments in defensive capabilities, I think that Thiago Silva is a solid one for a year. I think centre-back was always going to be a big issue, but you look at Liverpool, you look at City, you look at us, you look at Man United... That's four teams right there. It's four top teams as well. Maybe not Man United so much at the minute. Sorry, Billy. Uh, Fine. But, <laughs> um, but you know, those are four teams which are trying to sign a top quality defender and are struggling because there's such a lack of quality available in the centre-back position at the moment. Everyone was talking about signing Kalido Koulibaly. Why would you spend £90 million on a 29-year-old centre-back? There is no point in doing that. Um, and I think, you know, Thiago Silva's been done to, to tide us over. You know, he's proven quality. Yes, there was a slip-up in the West Brom game, but, you know, I think that was kind of his learning curve. He looked pretty solid against Crystal Palace. That might be because Crystal Palace were pretty blunt up front. I don't think they really caused us any problems whatsoever. Um, we'll have to see in other games coming up whether, you know, he can be a catalyst or he can be... You know the the player which could call, catalyst for better defenses or the catalyst for you know for causing more problems, um, but I think that I don't think we're done. I, I I've got a funny feeling. There's one more in the pipeline. Really funny feeling about it, but who it is is a is another question. Well, you were saying about Thiago Silva for a year to just shore it up. Yeah, because you've got Ma- Malang Saar on mm-hmm. a free from Nice. Do you mm-hmm. think that's maybe send him on loan for a year, get him some more top league experience and then bring him back alongside mm. Kurt Zuma or I think it'll probably be a bit too soon for Saar? I think that's the plan. Um, I think one of the big reasons we signed Malang Saar is he's also left-footed. So he was a left-footed centre-back who played on the left-hand side. Um, and that was something we did lack, I felt. I mean, and people might think, and I was one of those people, you sit there and go, well, you're a centre-back. It doesn't really matter what foot you use. In today's game, you know, it's, it's so important in terms of the, the quality of possession and the way you can play. It it's, it's, might not be as important with some teams, but I, I personally, on the way that Frank Lampard likes to play his football and other teams with possession-based football, they often like to favour that kind of player in that position. And I think Malang Saar um, is definitely someone who, who can do that for us. He... He's pretty well at Nice. He came into the side when he was 18, was consistent for three years. Um, he was unfortunately pushed to the left back position because of Dante. So Dante came into the side and he was kind of his, his development suffered a bit, which is why he didn't sign a new contract with Nice. Um, 
but you know he's, he's got top level experience for someone so young and I think a low move is on the cards that was the plan anyway I don't think anyone's come in yet so he might actually be included in the squad this year which could be interesting um, but he's, he's definitely someone who I think long term is, is in Chelsea's plans and I think that's, a, that's, that's again you know we're not saying we spent a lot defensively but you know we've brought in two centre backs and a left back um, and a goalkeeper so you know it's Chelsea have done a lot in the transfer market, but it's whether or not uh, those transfers will be will, will, will bear fruit. I think it's just that's going to be the interesting part because it's a lot of young players within within the project. Well, um, seeing as we've now gone in depth with the defensive side of uh, Chelsea's transfer signings, let's look at the attack and. One does notice that there's not a lot been done for the wings, but then you've already signed big caliber names for basically the center mid, center attacking mid striker. So basically down the middle. And, you know, you've got Timo Werner at striker. You've got uh, Kai Havertz, who's uh, center attacking mid. Um, but then you've also got players who last year under Frank Lampard, like Tammy Abraham and Mason Mount, already were in those positions. Do you think that Frank Lampard will be able to, you know, curb the amount of competition in that center and basically in the center of the park for Chelsea, or do you think that'll, that might be the one mistake in the transfer signings? I think he'll curb it. Whether or not he curbs it in time is another question. Um, I think it's safe to say he loves Mason Mount. I think that's pretty safe to say, considering the amount of game time Mason Mount has been getting, which has been fantastic to see. As someone, you know, a player that's come through the academy from a young age, um, has proved himself in abroad and in other places. Um, but at the same time, he gets overworked and played in positions which aren't his strength when you've got players that can play in those positions already. Um, Kai Havertz and Timo Werner, I mean, just, just based on, I mean, you you and I had a chat, Lewis, about this, what, about two months ago? Um, yeah, a bit less, yeah. Uh, we, we spoke about, you know, both of them and... You know, Kai Havertz, we were saying, isn't a player which you really want to see played out wide. And that's no. where he's been playing for Chelsea. And he's not, really not had the impact which we would have liked. Timo Werner, I remember we were saying, playing on the left wing, likes to have a big striker to play off of. We saw Tammy Abraham play well with him against Barnsley. And it was Barnsley. Let's, you know, take it with a pinch of salt. But, you know, he thought that was maybe the potential to bear some fruit in terms of a good partnership. Tammy Abraham... <sighs> scored 15 goals in the Premier League last season he's not a bad striker but I mean in terms of the options we have he's definitely not going to be first choice but you can see by some of his actions primarily um, what he did in the Crystal Palace game when he tried to take the penalty off of Jorginho um, after Timo Werner was kind of there going lads I need to score please just let me score can I have it against another goal away Tammy Abraham you know trying to fight for the ball off of the designated penalty taker Um is interesting. Uh, I would have personally quite liked to see Timo Werner with, with Olivier Giroud. That's something I've, I think would work really well, given you know Giroud's capability of being probably the best striker, not striker on the planet, in my opinion, in terms of just the ability to bring defenders just onto him, control the play, and then just let someone else go. Just the, the, the potential to have Olivier Giroud as your, your target man, with Werner to the left of him, Havertz in behind him and Hakim Ziyech on the right-hand side. I mean, I know you guys like to keep it professional in these podcasts, so I won't be going into my emotions that I'm feeling right now. But um, it's, it's one of those where I, that, I think that there's 
a lot of capability within the squad. But the problem is you just don't know what eleven Frank is going to name every week. Yeah, because I mean that 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 partnership between you know potential partnership between Giroud and uh, Vanna that's that would be similar to what uh, Yusuf Paulson did um, at RB Leipzig because that he was that target man. It'll be it'll be interesting to see what what Chelsea comes up with because um, Billy will remember this. I kind of had a dig at Chelsea uh, on a couple episodes back where I said, "Why don't you?" Why don't you play the player that you've just made your club record signing in the position where he is best? That was one of the baffling things yeah. to me because uh, it was, I think it was after the second Premier League match day where, you know, it was the story of uh, Havertz again, not, you know, showing why he's worth 80 million pound. And then everyone's like, well, take a look at where he's playing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not like we were playing the second match day, we were <clears> playing <throat> a Premier League champion. So at that point, it looked invincible yet again. Uh, well, they yeah, weren't even last season, but they looked, you know, difficult to break down. Um, <laughs> Aston Villa somehow proved otherwise. Um, <laughs> but I think it's it's. I would have quite liked to see, and I think this is this is where I'm kind of hinting at another signing potentially, which has obviously been one that's been on the cards since the beginning of the transfer. I think if if you with us, Lampard last season was a big advocate of playing the you know the four three three with two number eights and a sitting midfielder. If you sign a destroyer to sit in that hole, who can you know swap with Kante, swap with Jorginho, dependent on the game that we're playing, and then you have Mason Mount, Mateo Kovacic, and Kai Havertz as your three further forward options, even N'Golo Kante going in there, because he's not a defensive midfielder in the traditional sense of being a destroyer. He's very much an interceptor midfielder, winning the ball higher up the pitch, which is what we've you know, seen he does best with France, what he did best under Sarri. Ironically, who actually started doing that, and I don't think anyone really... No, including myself, didn't really give him the credit he was due when he did it happen. Um, but I think that you know, if you had that and you sign someone who's just destroyed, it will free up Kai Havertz. It will free up Mason Mount. You know, Mason Mount again being that player which every good side needs in midfield, who will just do the dog work for you. Sorry, Mateo Kovacic. They just they just do the doggiest of dog works, and I love it. Um, obviously, Mateo Kovacic is a bit more of a you know a bulk and flair to it. Um, but I think that, you know, it's, it's having a player like that, which could be so key, could make the difference. I don't think we'll get Declan Rice now with, you know, less, well, just over to maybe, tw- as we record this, 24 hours before the, the transfer window closes. Um, but, you know, I, th- I think that's where Frank is going to have a big problem this year. This can have a, he's going to have a very big problem there, but he'll learn the hard way. He's getting backed by the board. Chelsea want to see him succeed. Um, so it's just a case of who are the casualties going to be in, in, those, uh, in those positions to make sure that these signings that we make can actually have the impact that we want them to. I was going to say, I was going to mention Declan Rice to you because you've been linked with him all summer hmm. for the same price you, you paid for Kai Harvest nearly. But if there's any legs to the Jorginho to Arsenal rumours, do you think it would be wise to go and get a player like Declan Rice? Say it did happen tomorrow. Mm. Well, I think after the way Jorginho played against Crystal Palace, he's not going anywhere. You know, I think disregarding the two penalties for a moment, which were good penalties, you know, Jorginho, that's what he does. Um, he, he controlled the tempo uh, and he was working hard in the midfield and, and making challenges and being successful in those challenges, which is often a rarity for him. Um, 
and he was so important to it. But I think the problem with Jorginho is we saw last season when he had those shackles removed by Lampard early on, we thought we found our, that, you know, the, the heir to Fabregas for Chelsea, for example, you know, that, that person who played deep line and be creative. And then, you know, he, he was left out of the team for a bit and he would just come in and he wasn't, he wasn't the same. Um, but I don't think we'd sell to Arsenal at all. I don't think it makes any sense. The, the price we played for Kai Havertz, yeah, it was steep, but we actually got it down. Um, same with Ben Chilwell, you know, same with Timo Werner. Marina Marino Grabaskaya is a shrewd businesswoman. So, you know, the ninety million pounds or seventy which gone down to apparently potentially uh, we've been touted for Declan Rice will go down even more if it is to happen. But it's something which takes a lot of time. Um I, I personally would really like to see him. Uh I think, you know, the fact that he he came through our academy, he's a Chelsea fan. He uh you know he's he's developed further at West Ham. He's as we were talking about Malang Sar, for example, earlier, being a player at such a young age to hold down a consistent position in the starting eleven of a top level team. Declan Rice has done that at West Ham. And not only has he done that, when Mark Noble's been unavailable, he's captain the side, he's a leader. And I think you know, we saw with Aspilicueta against Crystal Palace that he is a leader, but people weren't sure about that beforehand. You know, Chelsea do have a significant lack of traditional raw leadership in that team um, and I think that Declan Rice in terms of that and in terms of what he offers obviously like I've already said being a Chelsea fan and understanding the club is such a big thing and he's also a very good player um, he's not in the best side at the minute but he still looks solid uh, he's had the odd game but also you know Twitter loves to go into meltdown when someone doesn't have a good game uh, but I think that he'd be a player which would definitely add something to Chelsea are there better options out there? Potentially. I, I couldn't name any off the top of my head right now because I've got my heart set on, on Declan Rice. And as both of you know, when I have my heart set on something, I probably don't shut up about it for about six months unless I get it. Uh, so it's, uh, it's something where um, I'd really like to see it happen, but I, I, I don't know. I don't know what the chances are. Based, I, I, I've not done an 11 in my head going, oh yeah, we've got Declan Rice. Let's do this. And this is what the team will look like. I've kind of alluded to what it could look like, but it's not not the same. I, I just I just want him to hold up. To, this is what I want. He's got a forty-one shirt at West Ham. He's definitely not a player that does an under forty-one. John Terry's been agent John Terry trying to get him to go to Chelsea. So what I want is Declan Rice holding up the twenty-six and getting the armband in a few years. That's the dream for me right now. That's, He's the heir apparent. Potential. That is a that is a big shout. That is a big shout because I was I was also about to comment on that was. That, you know, ever since John Terry left that team, there hasn't been, you know, a solid leader quality type player in there. Um, you know, just could be by luck of the draw, really, of the transfers. But there hasn't really been someone to, you know, mm. take over that mantle. But one more thing I wanted to um, talk to you about before we do run out of time here was uh, obviously the rumors of Callum Hudson-Odoi to Bayern Munich. No. Strengthened again. No. No, I'll slam the door on that one. Oh, <laughs> he really doesn't want to. He really doesn't want to. But I have to ask. I have to ask. Um, so because Sky Germany and Sky UK have had some very conflicting reports of this. Sky Germany has been saying, you know, this could very well happen on deadline day or, you know, today. Obviously, it hasn't happened today. But they're all saying it could still very well happen on deadline day. Then Chelsea, when asked about it, Chelsea representatives have said no. That's not happening. Uh, 
that is a clear that definitely not but sky germany have nevertheless still said that they have sources that would confirm to them that the talks are still ongoing what do you make of that and do you think he would leave sky takes some of its transfer rumors from twitter uh, and from people that make them up sometimes so that's what i take from that whole situation uh it, it won't happen purely because it, it doesn't leave enough time for Chelsea to find a replacement within the market. You know, it's, 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 a, it's, this, and it's, this isn't me being difficult and just being like, no, I don't want him to go. This is me sitting here and going, logistically, it just doesn't make sense. You know, obviously we, we got, we're not going to play Kai Havertz on the wing. I think that's kind of been reaffirmed over the past couple of games. He's been moved into the centre. Uh, I think you've got, well, you've, you've got Christian Pulisic, Timo Werner is clearly going to be playing on the wing this season. Uh, you're going to have um, Callum Hudson-Odoi and Hakim Ziyech. That's four wingers. You lose one of those, you know, we, we throw Mason Mount out there sometimes, but it, it's, it doesn't work. It's not the same so, dynamic as having Callum Hudson-Odoi out there. Because you come on against exactly. West Brom and completely changed the way you, you played. 100%. And then, he, and then he followed that up with his performance against uh, Crystal Palace yesterday. I mean, he's, he's not going to be going anywhere. I just, I just can't say how. Um, and the rumours that say that he wants to go to Bayern? If Bayern Munich come calling, you're going to think about it, aren't you? You, 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 yeah, lot, okay. just, you <laughs> lot have just won the Champions League. You've done the treble again. And you turn Quintuple all players, action. Sorry, sorry, quintuple. <laughs> um, and you, just, you turn all your players into... Like super soldiers, they're all bloody super cyan at Bayern Munich. Don't, what do you feed them? I, I don't know because Goretzko gained a solid 10 kilos of lean muscle in this during the corona break. I mean, the guy that was just over lockdown, though. That wasn't like joined Bayern. It was like that's the craziest part as well. Having having known Lewis for four years, I know for a fact that he was looking at that getting really angry. Oh, I definitely was. I definitely was. But then again, I I don't. I was about to say, like, the, the amount of muscle gain that he's the guy is, for lack of a better word, the Hulk in that Bayern midfield. You know, maybe Hudson and Doyle would take a couple doesn't, more. Yeah, he, does, he doesn't hold a candle to Reese James, mate. He's the Hulk. Don't don't mess with him. So I mean, in terms of being an actual player, I think it's safe to say Leon Goretzka is a much better player. But you know, <laughs> you can't take the title of the Hulk away from Reese James. Uh, well, so, that, that to be debated, but yes. Quickly before we wrap up, Louis. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got some questions that we're going to ask the guests that come on and we just want to see how people you know different people prefer different things so okay first off your favorite ever player Chelsea or otherwise favorite ever player at Chelsea was Gianfranco Zola I could have yeah, I yeah. could have actually guessed that <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I think my, fa- my favorite ever player of all time oh I don't know I'm a I'm a big Beckenbauer guy, big Bobby Moore Ooh. guy. I, I kind of like to go for defenders because everyone's like, oh, I really like Messi and Ronaldo. So like, come on, guys, be a bit fucking different. Sorry, excuse me, French uh, <laughs> or German in your case, Lewis. Um, I think, yeah, I like I like a defender. You know what? We're gonna go with Fabio Cannavaro. Actually, no, we're not. No, we're not. We're gonna go for the second sexiest man in football behind Olivier Giroud, Andrea Pirlo. That's the man I want to be when I grow up. Aged like a fine wine, that man. I oh, know, right? He's trust, trust. Beautiful. He's a beautiful man. Okay. Bit of a different angle on this one. The best player you've ever seen live. 
And I know you've seen some good players live. Messi, probably. No, Ronaldinho. Ronaldinho. I was there when we beat them in, in 2004. Was that 1-0? Or two, no, 2004, 2006. I'm genuinely jealous that you've seen Ronaldinho play live. Ronald, I, saw, I saw Ronaldinho. Jesus. Maxi Lopez was in that team. Poyol. God, I've seen some, I actually don't know, you know. I've seen Neymar live as well. Oh, that's really hard. Gun to your head. Gun to my head. I'll, I'll be a basic bitch and say Messi. <laughs> <laughs> Fine. We'll, we'll take it. We'll take it. We'll that's take understandable. It. <laughs> and you've again, you've been to. I know you've been to a few absolute great games, but the the best game you've ever seen. My first ever Premier League away game when we went to Everton and we beat them six three. That's the best atmosphere, the best game I've ever been to. I loved it. That Goodison was literally shaking. I was in the upper tier, and you just as soon as they went Everton right at the beginning of the game, you felt the ground sort of start moving. It was, it was amazing. Wow, wow, uh, that that does sound electric. Well, this has been really fun. I hope everyone has gotten you know some in depth. Uh, analyzations almost of Chelsea's transfer. Oh, send you the invoice later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's been there an absolute go. pleasure, mate. There you go. Sorry. Well, definitely. Me, yeah, well, hopefully we can get you on to talk about some more upcoming uh, topics later in the season. Of but, course. Always more. Always happy to do so. But thank you so much for coming on and we'll hope to see you soon. Yeah, thanks for having me, boys. Thank you very much, mate. No worries at all. That was good. I enjoyed that. We've had enough of a gander of the Premier League. Let's move on to the Bundesliga. And I'd say we start by talking about the fact that um, Dortmund kind of turned it around after a very, very... uh, What's the best word to describe the performance against Augsburg? Crap. Lethargic? Lackluster. That's a good lackluster. One. Oh yeah, that is good. that is That's good. a countdown winner. Lackluster. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, their performance yesterday was anything but because four nil. I mean, granted. Well, what did I, I call? Arm- what did I call Freiburg to you earlier? The Fulham of the Bundesliga. Yeah, but that's not. I think that's a bit harsh to say because Freiburg, unlike Fulham actually have been challenging to try and get Europa League spots the last couple seasons. And they're, you know, a team who they know what they're capable of as a team and as a club. So they're not also, you know, trying to make big money signings. They basically make signings that they know will work for their manager. Their manager, Christian Streich, has been there, what I feel like, since like the beginning of time. (laughs) And, you know, he keeps signing the one-year contract extensions. And, you know, he's a manager who works for them. And I think Christian Streich is also a manager who can get the most out of that team and could only do it at Freiburg. He's like the one club manager. See, that's a sensible move, giving a manager a one-year rolling. Otherwise, you end up with Alan Pardew's 12-year contract at Newcastle. (laughs) Exactly. And that's no fun for anyone. But uh, Erling Haaland... The machine oh. scored twice, but no, and and an assist. I mean, he just knows where he needs to be. Yeah, but I still think my I watched the game. I think my player of the match was still Gio Reyna, seventeen years of age. 
absolutely bossed it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you you can't take away from that. And it's, you know, we criticize him so much in the in the match um, against Augsburg for you know being so lackluster and you know naive at times, which you know, given he's seventeen, he's allowed to be naive. Oh yeah, but, not, you know, no one's question. No, we didn't question his ability then. No, it's just you, and I, you play two seventeen-year-olds in midfield. You kind of get what you're asking, really. Exactly, exactly. It's but, it's you know you you're thinking. Uh. But this this week, Favre played him further forward in the position you normally see Jaden Sancho, who's out with, yeah. in inverted commas, respiratory issues. You, you still are clinging. On, you're still clinging on to that hope, aren't you? Sat by his mobile phone waiting for Ed Woodward to ring. Oh my is what I hear when uh, Zorks tells everyone he's ill. But, yeah. you know, Bellingham played again, who played amazing, but he also had Axel Witzel alongside him. And yeah, but that, I think that was key. But, but that's the interesting part is because they, they didn't play, you know, a team that was too different from the Augsburg match. But then all of a sudden, Witzel, Bellingham and Reyna all in midfield seemed to work. I'd say the one big difference there was the fact that Reus was back in the starting lineup. Yeah, you've got a natural-born leader in Marco Reus. Yeah. And you've got a defensive powerhouse in Axel Witzel, who, if I'm Jude Bellingham, and I've, I look to my right, and I've got Axel Witzel alongside me, and I've got Gio Reyna and Marco Reus ahead, it's like, okay, I can be a bit more expressive with this, if I make a mistake, Axel Witzel's there. And I've got yeah. players that are willing to run ahead of me to open the space for me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think Haaland speaks for itself. The guy is unbelievable. 17 goals in 18 Bundesliga matches. He's not human. He's insane. His post-match interviews are even better. He doesn't mince his words, that man. Well, I said it to you earlier. Someone from a PR media team at wherever, Dortmund, Salzburg, Mulder has gone, look, just say these stock phrases. It's it's that typical game of two halves, (laughs) 11 against 11 type type phrases. It's like... Don't go into detail. Oh, you you scored today, didn't you, Erling? Yeah. Yeah. Did it feel good? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Can we not interview him again? I mean, he he was he was so he was just so dry with his response. He was asked, you know, seventeen goals in eighteen matches. That's pretty good, no? And he was like, yeah, it could have been a bit more. Yeah, but that's an elite mentality. It's like, oh, he's got seventeen and eighteen. It's like, yeah, but I could have scored like twenty or twenty-four. So, I mean, he's definitely you know going in Lewandowski's footsteps. But then again, he's also in a Sky interview, said that there are seven strikers better than him on this planet. See, I like that. He's really good, but he's also not... He's humble still. He still knows where he's at, and he still knows, you know, he knows how far he can, he can improve his game. Yeah, exactly. It's really good to see. And he spoke about Lewandowski, and I don't think we can ignore it much longer. The man scored four, <sighs> but Bayern conceded three. That is, I think, the bigger talking... It's almost so, as big a talking point, if not bigger. <laughs> Talk to me because I didn't see this. Talk to me about 
about that? Because it was a 93rd minute pen that saved you today. It was... See, first of all, you have to go, you have to go into detail about the fact that they gave away a 2-0 lead again after giving away a 2-0 lead in the Super Cup and the German oh, Super God, Cup yeah, against Dortmund. Exactly. So you've got a 2-0 lead that, again, you've not managed to defend or you know, at least bring over the 90 minutes in one piece. And it still is, to me, looking like a team that just can't seem to recover. Because there are so many little things that, you know, that the, the way Berlin com- combined in their, in their play to score the second goal with Mateusz uh, Cunha, it was beautiful one-touch passing, give-and-go, wall pass, you know, just one, two, bam, bam, bam. And they went, they went and made Bayern's defense, the defense that, by the way, has won five titles in the span of three months they made that defense look non-existent and we're talking about defense that i mean obviously today there was a lot of rotation going on again but still this is a defense that had you know 80 million euro signing lucas hernandez david alaba who probably during the champions league final tournament was the best center back on the planet Jerome Boateng, who was, pro- who was, you know, the solid, ever-present uh, centre-back alongside Alaba, making sure that, you know, everything was still together. And, you know, for a change, they had Chris Richards at right-back, who is a Bayern youth player. See, that's, and that's the lie. thing that... Sorry, that's the thing that got me was your full-backs today. Because yeah. Lucas Hernandez isn't a left-back. If you want a left-back, you've bought the wrong brother. Uh, get, I, would, I don't know because Theo I, Hernandez at AC Milan. I'd say that I'd say that Lucas Hernandez was bought with the intention of being able to play him at both center and left back, primarily concentrating on the center back, but also saying, you know, if needed, we can play him at left back and he will do the job. Yeah, I mean Alfonso Davies played left mid, and it's not a position we we saw him play much last season. But it's the position he but, was when he came. Yeah, it's his it's, it's natural position. I just, I don't know. I'm trying to look at your bench. I mean, I thought Javi Martinez had left. That's what everyone in Germany had thought. My dad was sitting there next to me saying, isn't Martinez on a plane to Bilbao? And that's the basic... I thought he was the, leaving on a free. Yeah, it was, the whole, it was the whole back and forth of the fact that, you know, even the German media can't keep up with it at the minute. They were asking today and they were like, so what's the plan with Javi Martinez? And Hansi Flick said in the interview before the match, he was like, well, as of now, I am planning that he is in my uh, squad for the season. So no Steve one really knows what's smart. going on. Exactly. That's the thing. No one really knows what's going on. But Nick Chris Nick Richards did it well, uh, though. Niklas Zula on the bench. That's down to, you know, fatigue. Injury or because fatigue. he played Thursday? It was down to fatigue. That's what I'm saying is now Bayern, ever since, I think the turning point this season was the fact that they got knocked out by the 120-minute by the European Super Cup against Sevilla. It wasn't just also 100. It wasn't just the 120 minutes. You also have the 120 minutes with the flight all the way to Budapest, which is you know an additional travel, you know, I'd say 
annoyance. Yeah, it's an inconvenience. It is you an inconvenience. Exactly. Properly. You can't recover probably because you have to be on a plane. You have to make sure you, you know you're traveling around the place. That killed them because the, none of the teams, especially not in Bayern or PSG, for instance, they'd had maybe a month in which they have to fit the players getting enough vacation time to you know completely you know shut recharge. off from football exactly recharge, then also pack a preseason in there. And then get the season underway. And then you're already talking about a season that, because of the pandemic, has midweek games right from the offset. There was no, there, there was no way in hell. And then you add in the fact that, you know, the travel inconvenience and most importantly, the 120 minutes played. There was just no part of that equation that was not going to add up to buying at some point just falling apart because the players were not at their best mentally and physically because they were just tired. Okay. Yeah. I, it's really, I can't disagree with that because it's exactly the same for the Premier League sides that played European. Exactly. Not necessarily because of the 120 minutes played the other day, but there's been midweek games. This is the first, it's an international break now. So this is like, there's no Carabao Cup now until just before Christmas. Yeah, but the, this is the you know it's international break, which means the top players are not going to be getting any rest. They're going to the national team to play another two games. I I don't understand. I I can understand, but do you not think UEFA? I mean, no one cares about the UEFA Super Cup. It, it's just there to make money, and with no fans, it's pointless. I I thought they could have just you know maybe scheduled that for some time later. The problem is you can Christmas. never. The, the thing with that is, is that you can't, you can obviously not foresee what else is going to happen. You can't say, you know, well, yeah, true. We'll have it at for Christmas. And then exactly. We'll have Christmas, it at Christmas. There's a second break in play. Exactly. Or there's a second wave and you have to, everyone goes on lockdown again. Or, you know, at the very least, it's going to be Christmas. All the players are going to be like, well, no, I want my break now. I really couldn't care less. So there was no good time to really play this match. It, it's, it is just, it is what it is. But I mean, that's the reason why you're going to have so many of the top teams now struggling because even, especially when you have teams like Bayern who have failed to set up their squads to compensate for the hectic schedule. I love it because I, you know, I've complained to you about transfers this entire window. And you were like, and oh, at the end, we've got Leroy Sane. And now you're starting to understand what it's like to have a board that will go, mm, well, we'll give you Eric Chupamoting on a free. Oh, uh, yeah. It's, and we'll get Douglas Costa back on loan from Juve. It is, that, that's, that's just the thing that's bothering me because the transfer window, it looked so good at the beginning. I was like, Leroy Sané for well under market fee. Love it. Given it was supposed to be a while ago that he, that he was supposed to come here. But, you know, I was like, yeah, we'll take it. And I was like, after that, at that point, you know, if they're, if they're able to do that, then the board and, and the sporting director, Zali Hamidzic, he'll be able to pull some more things out of, some more things like that out of the bag. But then I saw, you know, all of a sudden the news was like, oh, Perezic, they're not looking to keep him. And then, you know, very, you know, very, it was almost, it was almost kept under the table. But all of a sudden everyone was like, well, uh, Perezic is now left Bayern. That's it. They kind of just didn't sign him. And that was the first time I was like, well, that was dumb. 
squad depth. But I get you. You're getting Douglas Costa. Could it not just be a similar? It's a panic buy, just as just the same as if you if if United with United signing signing Cavani. It's a complete panic buy. But it's I just think... the fact of you know re- realizing you've got a bunch of injury prone wingers because that's just a position that is generally the one that players most of the time get injured on. Yeah, they're so dynamic. Are, I think it's they're part, so dynamic. Exactly. And, and defenders are going to be you know more likely to take them out because they're the, probably the ones that are coming at them and attacking the most. Who is, is the defensive midfielder you're getting? Mark, uh, Mark Rocca. Who you and were I'm supposed not, to get last year. We were supposed to get him last year. We didn't for whatever reason. I think, I think it, was you wouldn't, of, it was a fee disagreement. Yeah, you wouldn't pay what they wanted and now you're getting him for half what you were quoted last year. And things I could, I sad to say, can't even tell you much about him. No, I've the never one, heard of him either. The one thing I can tell you is he's 23, and apparently, um, according to Sky Germany, he is more of the type of Shabby uh, Alonso player, the one who has, you know, brilliant passing and you know can slow the game down. But he's not. He's not on that level. He's not. He's 23, and he's not at the level of you know I can walk into a Champions League winning side, and, you know, perform, up to their standard. That's what I mean. Need time. To me, that signing just screams uh, Sebastian Roda. Yeah, panic. <laughs> not, not necessarily a panic, but is it really a Bayern-level signing? Yeah, or is Sebastian Rudi? <laughs> That's the one. Were they both called Sebastian? They were. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah Seb Roda is- and Sebastian Rudi. Yeah, and both of those players turned out to be, you know, just everyone was wondering what Bayern wanted with them, and they turned out to not really do much more than what was expected, expected of, them. of them. Which, I mean, if that was their plan, great, but, you know, didn't really fit in with the general signing. One thing I do want to talk about right quickly, though, before we do wrap up is what are we going to do with Schalke? Because that team is just it's held together by it's held together by a thread really it's like trying to fix a a Ming vase with sellotape isn't it really They're, they just paper over cracks as well I mean trying to fix a Fabergé a Fabergé egg with Pritt stick exactly it's, I really don't know and it's really sad to watch a team that I used to really enjoy watching when they had like Klasian Huntelaar up front oh yeah and it's like, oh, it's just, it's just going to end in relegation for them, isn't it? And you also have to think about the fact that this is a team that five years ago held their own in the Santiago Bernabeu. Yeah, you know, this is a team... Five short years. Exactly. This is a team that I remember watching play really well against Man City in the Champions League. And now they're it, like, oh, it's just depressing to watch. They've, they've conceded four goals again. They've now conceded 15 goals in three matches. On average, five goals a game. And they've obviously ditched David Wagner as manager. They've brought in Michael Baum, who previously was managing Augsburg. He was fired from Augsburg for poor results there. Is he, the, is he a manager to, you know, it, it just screams Achim Bayer who went from 
Köln because he wasn't he got fired at Köln and wasn't producing results there and immediately gets the Mainz job. And now Bayer was fired, you know, not more than a year later after that. I don't know. It seemed... But then it again, all just... Is that not the only, one of the only people they could get to take that job? Because I mean, who, who's taking the helm at a sinking ship? Exactly. It's, it's the poison chalice uh, metaphor, as you were calling it last week. Yeah. It's, so. Any manager that goes in there is just not going to have a good time. And it's going to reflect badly on them. I'm going to say it when Schalke get relegated. Three 0 down at half time. I can't see any. They won't make it. I don't. I doubt they'll make any signings tomorrow. They don't have the money to make the signings well, as well. There we they? go. Yeah, it would help if uh, all their best players didn't leave on a free to uh, Bayern. <laughs> wow. Did they get any money from the Sane deal? Was there any sell-on percentage at all? I'm not sure about the sell-on percentage. I'm definitely, I think they definitely will get a percentage if Sane does win titles with them. But I mean, I think that only apply that doesn't apply to Super Cups, which is all that Sane's won so far. Well, I mean, give it to them this season. They won the Bundesliga as well. Well, yeah, then they might get, you know, a little... A little add-on fee, but I, it's, it's still, it still is the, you know, Schalke once great club. Now it is very compared. They're heading down the same road as uh, Hamburg. I oh, see. That was sad to watch. I used to really enjoy watching Hamburg. They had Lewis, a, they, Lewis Holtby and Raphael van der Vaart when he left Spurs. Oh yeah. And they, they had a, they had a massive, a digital watch in their stadium showing the amount of years that they had stayed in the Bundesliga. And it, the clock ended on 51 years and I don't know how many days, minutes, hours, whatever. But it, I mean, and that's it's just, just asking for it, isn't it, really? It's depressing because they were the one team that had not been relegated, you know, since the beginning of the Bundesliga. And then now that watch has stayed on zero, 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 zero for the last two, uh, two years. It's depressing to watch. Would you not take it down? I don't know. I, I think, I think it's... If you get promoted. I think it's the hope that if they keep it up there, it'll be a little bit of an incentive to basically make it back up. But I mean, then again, their incentive has already been there for the last two, three years. So it's not looking know. great. It's a, it's a weird one. I was about to say there's a there's a lot of uh, shocking and depressing uh, fixtures that have been going on this weekend. There's a lot of shocking and depressing things in football at the moment. But hey, chill, guys. It's Monday. We love it. We love it. And on that note, I'll say, keep calm. Love the beautiful game. Thanks for listening, guys. <laughs>